Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of WrestleNomics Radio. I'm your co-host, Christopher Mookie harrington joined from the state of New York, the Empire Warrior himself, Mr. Brandon Howard Thurston. Brandon, how are you doing today? I'm great. I'm joined by Mookie Alexander, and you are listening to WrestleNomics Up All Night. Yeah, this is a late night for us. It's uh, 8.30 my time, 9.30 your time, I think. I'm drinking coffee. Yep, I just finished an epic board game. It oh. was uh, approximately seven and a half hours long. Was it and, Dune? Uh, I'll talk about it more on the premium show. Dune? It was a game of Dune, yes. and uh, we didn't even finish it, actually. We oh. got to turn 12, and we just gave up. Oh, my goodness. But that's to be expected. Uh, this has been a busy week for WWE news, for a lot of different news, and for uh, personal WrestleNomics news. We got a couple updates here about the WrestleNomics Reddit, the WrestleNomics Patreon site, yes. the uh, the WrestleNomics mugs, the WrestleNomics blimp, all that stuff. Mm. The mugs? The mugs are happening? I don't know. Uh, yeah. But uh, some of the other stuff is for sure. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, I figure it's all, it's all, it's step by step here. Baby steps, as they would say in, uh, you know, sure. in What About Bob? Baby so you, steps. So you started a Reddit. You started a Reddit, uh, what do you call this? A subreddit. Yes. Mm-hmm. So if you go to uh, Reddit dot com slash r slash wrestlenomics yes or you just look for the wrestlenomics subreddit you'll you'll come across it um trying to post new things in there every day it's you know sometimes a little bit of a challenge to find new interesting content but uh, obviously with the show that we're doing here we'll we'll post and boost it there and we've uh, already started doing some things about legal updates and trademark updates and some analysis and and as as news breaks and we have conference calls and other things it's a good opportunity for us to interact with fans and we appreciate everyone who's joined already and a couple of people have posted some nice messages and uh so far we have not had to wash the reddit off our shoes so i feel good about that yeah if you want to discuss you know you know we pro wrestling business news legal news or just leave us toxic comments you can do it on reddit whatever it's going to be um, so that's been fun. And then we simplified our, our Patreon. There's a $5 level. There's a $10 level. You can get everything you want for that $10 level. That includes all the drive access and the files. And for the $5 level, well, that's just almost as good because you get the notes, you get the show. And of course you support two of the hardest working men in all of wrestling business news these days, yes. Brandon and Mookie. Yes. Uh, and two. you were on the show for the guys from, uh, post wrestling. Post wrestling, yes, you were part of their their epic four hour uh, yes. uh, marathon of of raising money for the uh, CG CJR, right? Yes. So the uh, the for for journalism, and uh, they they did this epic show after the Crown Jewel show, and uh, you were one of their many many guests, along with you know I think Lavi was on there, David Bixenspan, many other of our uh, WrestleNomics pa- friends, patrons, and other uh, associates were also involved. Right, Bix was on, Todd Martin was on, uh, Nate Milton was on, Lavi, as you mentioned, possibly others. So how much of the Crown Jewel show did you watch, Brandon? Uh, I had it on at work uh, almost the entire time. I, uh, I I saw Brock Lesnar win the Universal title, beating Braun Strowman, and I thought that was the end of the show. I thought, all right, title match is over. The show's been going on for a while. It must be over now. And then I, for, I forgot that there was a, a big legendary tag match that was still going to happen that lasted 27 minutes. I, I yeah, almost, you know, I watched I, I the I forgot about Super the Shane McMahon thing. I totally missed out on the Shane McMahon thing, too. 
I watched the Super Showdown show. I watched almost the entire show, and then mm. when I got to like that final tag match, I tapped out, and I was like, I can't take this. That's I've when, had when you got to the, the Undertaker and Triple H match. You mean right? And it's at Showdown, yeah, yeah. And uh, oh, you're right. It wasn't a tag match. It was with seconds. Oh, right. Well, yeah, and right, uh, right. Yeah, so I tapped out on that one, and the same thing happened when I watched Crown Jewel because I watched like 85% of the show. And then I just mm-hmm. saw that there was kind of like that one and a half matches left. And I was like, I can't do this. So, so you didn't I watch bald Shawn Michaels bump all over the ring. I watched actually, no, I, I actually think I watched almost all of that match. Um, I only fast forwarded just a little bit, but uh, yeah, it was interesting to, to see the whole show. Uh, the show of course took place in some strange place in the world known as crown jewel, crown jewel live from crown jewel. It happened yeah. in the country of crown jewel in the city called crown jewel. Did they say Riyadh? You have Riyadh they in did. here. They didn't say it, but they put it on the screen. Mm. And uh, it was pretty hard to not... Any picture from that show, you know you're seeing a show from the Crown Jewel. Mm-hmm. Like, there's nothing about it that, that blends in with other WWE shows. When you have that many men wearing the, you know, the... What is it? The kafaya or the uh, the the headband and the the white dress and it's just it's so different than what you see at any other show. It's pretty impossible to not notice that you're there's clearly somewhere in the Middle East. Gear Biggie do his intro. Oh, Crown Jewel. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, very little Vision Twenty Thirty uh, propaganda in in my mind. There wasn't yeah. like a a, a pro Saudi Arabia video kind of similar to what they did last time. The closest thing was. Um... The, the the chairman right this uh turkey al al sheik guy the chairman of the, of the general sports authority he w- he appeared on screen that's about yeah, it yeah and they 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 called him his excellency but again excellency. that's an honorific that that's you know entitled to someone who is a major um diplomat or or a, a major minister in in the company that's why so i i don't think I refer that's to that you as, as your excellency sometimes Yes. Uh, John Oliver really ripped into WWE the week before, mm-hmm. um, kind of going in again on the whole uh, Saudi Arabia story and then just basically talking about, hey, what are they doing going on the show? And then even making the point of, hey, do you think John Cena is really going to go or is it going to be a bad for his PR? And lo and behold, the next day, John Cena gets written off the show. And uh, the day after that, uh, Daniel Bryan. Yeah. So Me- it was uh, pretty odd in that sense. Uh, looked like it was a full crowd. It wasn't, of course, as big of an arena as they did when they were in Jeddah. Uh, this one only about a twenty-five thousand seat arena, but uh, they said they sold it out in I less than three a, hours. A seating chart. Yeah, the uh, uh, Turkey Al Al Sheik said less than three hours. It sold out. Yeah, so maybe the the young bucks need to hire the, the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia for the next time they want to do an all-in show to make sure it sells out mm-hmm. ASAP. Mm-hmm. Uh, the ticket prices were super low, you know, 25 to a hundred, uh, Saudi currency. I don't know what an SAR stands for. A, 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 do you know? I think it's a Saudi real. A real. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So that's only between like seven and 28 bucks. Yep. So very, very low. And especially yep. when, you know, we did all this discussion and research into kind of your average ticket price for WWE, but your average WWE ticket price is well over $40. Uh, for North America, and when you go on international, it's well over usually seventy or eighty dollars because it's even more expensive. So the idea that this show is only pulling in twenty eight dollars for the most expensive seats that are available to the public means that they're barely getting fifty percent of the normal seats for a WWE show in Hoboken, New Jersey. But you know what? They still probably got about the same amount of revenue as they would get from a, a WrestleMania gate for this show, if not more. I mean, they definitely got like three times as much for that. 
uh, in Q2 related to the greatest Royal Rumble because they probably got you know forty forty five million dollars, which is like yeah. three WrestleMania gates. Yeah, so it's it's just an enormously bizarre set of circumstances because the the economics of it. I was we were talking about this on um, the Reddit actually, where if you think about okay, this show is worth forty five million dollars and it represents two shows a year, then maybe that's twenty to twenty five million dollars a show. And if you take your WWE shows and you'd say, okay, SmackDown plus Raw, each one of them, they average somewhere north of 200 million, but you have to do 52 of them a year. You're maybe getting 4 million a show. So it's, it's really bizarre when you think that the Saudi Arabia show is worth maybe 20 to 25 million in revenue mm-hmm. and your average Raw or SmackDown, which is the mega deal, is worth maybe 4 million in revenue plus all of the peripheral amounts of money that they make because they can sell that show again to the to all the other corners of the world uh one more time but it it just really goes to show you this saudi arabia deal was expensive and that's why wwe was so reluctant or you shouldn't say expensive it was so lucrative they were so reluctant to walk away in any way yeah and the 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 point that i've been trying to make because i've been talking to people you know obviously in the last week about this quite a bit and some people say well what's the difference between you know the W does, does shows all over the, the world, and they you know go to lots of countries that probably have some serious human rights violations going on. So what what's the big deal? It's just a slippery slope if you're going to say they shouldn't go to Saudi Arabia. And I think the difference is look at the, the massive amount of money they're they're being given. At least in the case of the Greatest Royal Rumble, they're doing quite a bit of public relations for the Saudi government with with that video and with you know making the country sound like it's this you know nice progressive place. Um, but there's there's a difference between. Uh, Going to a, a a country to run a show and to you know try to draw some money there, even if maybe if you, even if you got an agreement with the, the government. I mean, obviously, you look at these ticket prices: seven dollars, twenty eight dollars at the at the most. Uh, the Saudi government that is not making their money back with ticket sales here, and there's so there's a reason why they're running these shows. There's a reason why they've purchased all of these ten, you know, ten years worth of WWE events. It's to enhance the country's image, the, the government's image. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. And and when you read articles from the Saudi Gazette, or you look at the, the journalist, you know, resources in the media center for Saudi Arabia, it's, it's impossible to ignore what exactly is the message that they're trying to send here is that this is a great country. It is filled with great people. They have great leaders. These great leaders have brought these, these performers to this country and that's about it. There, yeah. There's there's very little else. I mean, the Washington Post referred to the the interviews being done by the WWE um, uh, superstars as quote fawning Saudi journalists who were and that WWE people were quote not eager to discuss the, the Khashoggi uh, controversy when asked by a Post reporter. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was a lot of talent stuff that went on here. You know, pre-show you had that Nakamura Rusev match, which. I guess it's just so weird to me that you would do this this World Cup and then put all Americans in it mm-hmm. and then have guys like Rusev and Nakamura on the show, but you're not using them in the in the context of this tournament. It just seems strange. Well, I guess they had to do a World Cup and they wanted to, you know, take their shot at Qatar for get for getting the soccer World Cup. But uh, mm-hmm. but just to, to go back to what I was saying earlier, I feel like we need to bang bang on the table about this. Like this was you know, the the Q2 number is, is 40 to $45 million. That's for the greatest Royal Rumble. This, based on the, the press release that they put out for the last quarterly report last Thursday, it looks like there's going to be tens of millions of dollars more. Like, this is WrestleMania ticket-type money here. Yeah, and, and it's weird because it's a paid show for WrestleMania. It's as if, 
you know, more than even when the city say, I'll give you tax breaks. It's as if someone was just like, you know what, let's hold WrestleMania in Brandon, Manitoba, because I'm willing to pay all this money and just make it a, a thing. But it's got to be about how great Brandon, Manitoba is. And that just seems it's it's really incongruous with the kind of image of what WWE tries to be sometimes about they just put smiles on people's faces. So that's why they're going over there. When in fact, we know that this shows that WWE doesn't really get upset about the fact that, you know, there's human rights violations, that they ate aiding and betting into a war, that they're causing all sorts of, um, you know, treating women as second class people and citizens and continuing to, uh, you know, imprison activists and do all these other things that that is all just kind of meant to be glossed over because someone is giving you a lot of money and therefore you don't have to make a judgment call that say, this really is uncomfortable for me. And I'm putting all these quote unquote independent contractors in uncomfortable places. And, uh, you know, the, the observer had a little bit today, uh, in this week's issue talking about why did Daniel Bryan supposedly not want to go? And I think one of the things that it said that he was upset about was the banning of Sammy Zane, Sammy Zane, Mm -hmm. uh, and also the, uh, concern about the LBGT rights and that had been, and how people are treated in in places like Saudi Arabia. And that that was a big eye-opening thing to him, which just goes to speak to, you're putting these performers in a position where the money goes to the executives. The performers get paid quite well. And even Jim Ross talked about that on Jericho's crew, saying he got paid tremendously for the last show he did. But at the same time, you're also basically asking them to become tacitly complicit in approving of what's happening around them and to be part of this organization. And it is, you know, it it can feel pretty uncomfortable for these people. And so when the Saudi, you know, when the Washington Post asks uh, Dolph Ziggler about it, you know what his response was? Was, well, WWE put a statement out on that. Yeah. And you you just, you want to say for a second, like. He was listening to the conference call. I guess to me, if, if I knew the Washington Post was asking me something about a murdered colleague of mine, I would at least have the decency to say, you know what? I, I would like to give you my condolences to say this is I feel really awful that you're in a, a tough position like this. And we've made a decision to go and do this. And I I, I think it's really important that I support the fans that are here. And, and we're going to we when the company decided to go on with the show, I wanted to come and perform on it or whatever it is. But at times it just feels like if the company's giving you gag orders, but you're supposed to be an independent contractor, it just goes again and again to say what exactly freedom do these people have? And is there even a really answer that you can give when you're a wrestler like that? Because yes, you can try and stand up and be a Cena or be a Brian and and choose not to go. You can completely try to defend it and be a JBL, but a lot of those people are just kind of stuck in the middle. And Mm -hmm. it's, it's tough to say whether or not that they, you know, want to be there, if they feel comfortable being there, if they, they appreciate the fact that they are being put in such a terrible position or whether it's just another day on the road for them. Yeah, I guess, I guess Randy Orton is, is another chip who, who could have fell. And, you know, when you think about who's got who's got the most security in the company, maybe Cena, maybe Brian, maybe Randy Orton. But Randy Orton, you know, was interviewed a couple times by TMZ, whether that was premeditated on WWE's behalf or not. Um, and he was, I, you know, he was defensive of it. He's got a kid. He's got I, he's got five kids to feed, he said. His kids must be starving, I guess, you know. I, I don't blame people who want to say, hey, I, I get paid really well to go to this show. The company made the decision to go to the show. They asked if I wanted to be on it. And I said, am I going to get paid really well? And I said, yes. Mm-hmm. I think that's naked ambition. 
And, you know, we sometimes ascribe such high moral values to our, our athletes as if we expect them to be finer people, not in pursuit of money the way almost everyone usually is. I, I think that's um, a, I think that's a reasonable thing to expect of people in general to have some moral principles uh, above greed. Um, yeah, but, you know, if they feel like their day job is already asking them to go do this, then they don't feel they're making the decision. They're just kind of obeying the will of the man. Yeah. Um, and, and that's the, you know, that's the case. WWE is filled with people who are worried about rocking the boat and don't love what they have to do every day, but they would rather be paid well for it than paid terribly for it. Yeah. And, and again, just to, to go, go on about how, how much money that they're making for these events, like the biggest gates of all time. I've, I've done like these, these lists or charts before about here's the biggest live event gates of all time. And, and right now it stands as like the last few WrestleManias. Uh, the the big North Korea shows, the collision in Korea shows in 1995 with WCW and New Japan are up there too, even when you adjust for inflation. Like these would be at least greatest Royal Rumble, depending on how you want to count it and calculate it. The greatest Royal Rumble is like the biggest money live event of all time. And this this one is probably going to be up there again. And we're, we're going we're to find out some clues about how much money they got for this when the Q4 report or the full year report comes out in probably early February. So I guess it would have a little bit to do with us trying to understand which revenue sources we are and aren't counting. When we think about that recent UFC event that did, you know, an enormous number of buys uh, and with the, the Connor fight, you know, and things like that, where you're, you're going to say, wow, was that what, like $170 million or something they produced in a, in a single day? With and if you count count that all as revenue then that's one thing now if you count that as that streaming revenue that's different than live gate revenue but at the same time you could argue the they're not making all those 45 million dollars on live gate revenue they're just making that as a fee payment and it's kind of like a streaming revenue source so it's it's yeah. in some ways more akin to a pay-per-view that's being bought and broadcast on television for free it, yeah it's it's a different sort of thing. Uh, I mean, did so so all those millions of dollars that are counted? I mean, by like prowrestlinghistory dot com uh, that that goes toward the Collision in Korea shows. Were those was that is that just from ticket money? Because obviously, obviously, the ticket money here, if you you know take the average ticket price between seven dollars and twenty eight dollars, and you multiply that by twenty five thousand, you're not getting anywhere near you know forty five million. Or whatever. Or, I mean, or ten million. We'd have to look a little bit deeper. I would guess it would actually be more related. Like when WWE reports their WrestleMania revenue, they'll break it out for live events and they'll talk about the live event revenue. And so they'll be talking about the ticket that was gener the revenue that was generated by the live event itself. And I'm just saying, in some ways, this is not live event revenue. It's some kind of other media rights revenue. Yeah. Or sponsorship revenue, advertising revenue. That's like kind of including you know, uh, Snickers revenue in the WrestleMania number, whether or not that is or isn't part of it. Yeah, and that is how they report it. They don't report it under live events. Yeah. Uh, I, I was just thinking, talking to, though, what are they doing in the marketplace? You know, David Bixon's fan had a, a great tweet where he was just like, wow, that WrestleMania teaser didn't look the same. And it showed the WrestleMania teaser that they showed during the Crown Jewel event and the one that they had that they had shown earlier in the week, and they had edited all of the women out of the WrestleMania event. And and as I equipped on on Twitter, nothing tells your independent contractor athletes that they are just as important as their male counterparts than completely erasing them from a major promo for for your biggest event of the year. 
you know, in no way does that undermine the fact that they were just part of the evolution thing. And, and it totally shows that you're, you're interested in inclusion, positivity, and raising the stature of women's sports when you're ready to kowtow that quickly to erasing their complete impact from a promo, just so that you can make sure that you absolutely in no way rock the boat of your, your sugar daddy from Saudi Arabia. Well, that's the reason why they shouldn't cancel the show, right? Because they're going to cause social change by doing the show. Yeah, a lot of social change you get by basically, uh, you know, the the biggest social change on the show was they they let Renee Young, so, a yeah, foreigner, in fairness, sit, Renee, Young, Renee Young was there, sit in the the basically the front row of the show, do commentary, and she only had to cover up everything from the neck down. Mm-hmm. She's she, wearing a turtleneck. She didn't have to wear. She didn't yeah. have to cover her head. Mm-hmm. So that that was true. Are you are you allowed um, to? Do you know? Do you are you allowed to? Like, if you're a woman, are you allowed to walk around in Saudi Arabia in public with with your head uncovered? If you're a foreigner, sometimes it's the rules are a little different. Mm, okay, you, you get, it, and a waiver. It, walking around probably will not be great for you. But um, if you're a foreigner, the rules are, are sometimes a little bit different. I think you're still expected to wear modest dress, mod, modest clothing, mm. but not necessarily a headscarf. Always. Mm-hmm. Hulk Hogan was there, though. He was. He came back from his exile. Um, and uh, gave his the most generic Hulk Hogan-y promo that he could. Though uh, he also did not say Saudi Arabia. No. Um, and uh, I, I think he was there because, like, if if we're gonna bring Hulk Hogan back, well, you know, we're, they're not gonna boo him in Crown Jewel, but they if we bring him back in Philadelphia, they're you know they're gonna boo him. Maybe. Maybe I I mean wrestling wrestling fans don't always have very long. His, you know, they they say they're going to do one thing and they do something else when you actually give them give them something. But I I agree. I think part of it too was that the person booking the show, and I don't mean WWE staff. I mean the the Sheik, who uh, is the General Sports Authority guy, who gets to decide what he would like to have on the show. Sounded like he made a whole bunch of requests for the Royal Rumble show that involved wrestlers from yesteryear, many of which that weren't even alive anymore. Um, would also underscore to me. I think Hulk Hogan would be one of the few names that would probably resonate with that same person who would feel that way. And so if WWE is willing to take the PR hit, which as far as I can tell, they've, they've suffered zero PR hit about the Hulk Hogan thing. I haven't seen a single article written about, oh my God, I can't believe Hulk Hogan came back. It's way too soon. Yeah. And I think that's like, that's at least convenient for them because now you don't have to have another show that's not already, you know, a wash and bad press where it's like, oh, Hulk Hogan's coming back for the first time. It's like he's ruining an event that's kind of already ruined in terms of public perception, Western perception. I think what was weirdest to me was the Shane McMahon angle. Not that the fact that they decided to go ahead and do the Shane McMahon angle, but rather the fact that they kind of ran a semi-prominent angle on this show, which just kind of underscores the fact that, no, this is not a throwaway show. This show is part of canon now. It was promoted on TV for weeks. Oh, it was, but I just meant in the sense of like that now it's going to probably be part of the angle going into Survivor Series, the Shane McMahon best in the world angle. Yeah. I, I kind of thought it would just be more of a, we don't need to talk about that sort of thing where it's it's a show, these matches happen. Yeah, we'll have have Lesnar uh, wrestle Braun Strowman, but we're not going to make a big, big deal out of all of it. But, you know, in the end, I guess you could say the, the Lesnar-Strowman match is even more of a bigger deal. Um, because it's not like we're spending every moment talking about Strowman's trophy win from before. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the fact that Lesnar apparently is staying with the company long enough to keep defending this title, much to the chagrin of so many um, uh, internet journalists, 
Uh, it's pretty fascinating. And then, of course, in the main event, Shawn Michaels unretires and Triple H suffers a pretty nasty injury. Mm-hmm. Speaking of best in the world, did you hear the CM Punk chants? Was was there actual CM Punk chants from I, the I, audience? I thought, man, that sounds like C- a CM Punk chant, but it can't be a CM Punk chant. And and then um, when I was on a post wrestling, they were like, yeah, there's CM Punk chants. I was like, oh, my God, I, I wasn't going crazy. I, I wasn't hearing <laughs> things. They were chanting CM Punk at, at certain points. I don't know. I don't know why or how to explain that or other than maybe that's just it's become a popular chant now. That or, or it's just or a they small just, group in the yeah, audience yeah. that it, the microphones are near. Yeah, or they just they know who CM Punk is and yeah, they're wrestling fans just like anybody else. Yeah, it it was pretty fascinating, but yeah, Triple H tearing his pec. I I do feel like this is one of those cases where Triple H is becoming more like Vince every time we talk. Right now that he's uh, getting to the point where he's going out there, he's trying to hold down a set of jobs and at the same time be an on-screen character and the next thing you know he starts getting injured left and right yeah what, what is this link you have here oh it's about an article that was written in uh nih.gov and it was just kind of talking about who gets peck injuries like yeah. tearing a peck yeah and it, it specifically mentions that um the ruptures remain rare, though the injury rate has become more prevalent in the last 30 years as the number of both recreational and professional athletes have increased. These injuries generally occur during forceful activities. Almost half of them occur during weightlifting, particularly during bench press. It is also known that steroid use can weaken the tendon, and mm. that is thought to be a contributing factor in many ruptures. However, these injuries can certainly occur in patients who have never used steroids. Mm. Uh, and it was just just kind of... I thought that was really interesting that a lot of times it's pointed out that there's some kinds of injuries where they're incredibly rare in the general populace. And yet professional wrestlers will have them a whole bunch. And you wonder, is it have something to do with the technique of how they take bumps? Is that have something to do with how they, they are, are just on the road too much, or does it have something to do with other lifestyle or genetics that well, uh, impact their ability to, but I've perform? been on, but I've been on W's corporate website and there's a, the wellness policy is on there and it says you can't do, anabolic steroids or human growth hormone or anything like that so they're they're so, and triple h is probably that probably applies to triple h right so he can't he can't do, do performance enhancing drugs right well would it apply to someone like brock lesnar i don't well wait a minute uh, no it, it, it didn't and oh. remember, like uh remember like a uh, triple h's nutritionist was like sort of like suggested uh, like a year ago that he was uh he he, he doesn't have to have to that doesn't apply to him well, wellness yeah. policy and yeah, actually Vince was, McMahon yeah. Vince McMahon uh after uh, Benoit died and he had to testify before a congressional subcommittee said that the policy was only for full-time performers yes yes so I'm I'm guessing that uh people who are are constantly getting injured like that aren't considered full-time performers so hmm. looks like Triple H will just narrowly miss it same with Shane McMahon I bet same with the, maybe that Mr. Undertaker himself yeah so uh just it was it, just a juxtaposition of a week for sure, when you have everything that was going on with Crown Jewel during the same week that you had WWE Evolution within seven days. It's just it's just kind of shocking there. In the end, um, you know, there's that great match between Charlotte and Becky Lynch for the last woman standing. There was um, a lot of the show sold out, even yeah. though it might not have been a full arena. It sold out technically. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there were a lot of good matches there. Uh, Io Shirai and Tony Storm was good in the Mae Young Classic final. Uh, I, I I liked the the six woman tag, uh, and the, the main event between Ronda Rousey and who did Ronda Rousey wrestle? 
Nikki Bella. Nikki Bella. That was, yeah. Apparently, from what I remember, it, it it was a decent match. It was a good match. I thought it was it was one. You know, I, this is everybody saying this, but it's is one of WWE's best pay per views of the year. Now, what I wonder is, it gonna you know lock WWE into the schedule though? Because WWE tends to do things at the same time every year, right? Mm-hmm. And so, Greatest Royal Rumble, I still think will probably be shortly after WrestleMania next year if they do something very similar. You think so? And you don't think they're gonna wait until November? Pardon me? You don't think they're gonna wait until November? I, I think they, it could be this that two years and two two events in the first year for the Saudi deal, and then just one event a year after that. And maybe yeah. that event is in November, and, and then if it's like a, or, or whatever, late or around this time, around the time of the international tour. Okay, so for everybody doesn't know, there's an international tour in April, right? And then there's an international tour in in the fall, in in November. So maybe I mean, can you imagine this? Like maybe it becomes a tradition that you know, evolution all wounds pay per view happens in like October or you know fall, early fall, and then you do the Saudi show right after that for, for the next 10 years. See, and if I was them, I would do everything in my power to try to get those two events not right next to each other, just because it's such bad PR and optics. But again, if bad PR and optics was driving any of the decision making in this company, it would have been a thousand times different for all the things they happened. Um, did you watch any of the, the Drew and Dolph eat, a, uh, eat kebabs television show? No, what are you talking about? Oh, I I tweeted out some links there. It's uh, it's it's Drew McIntyre and Dolph Ziggler went on one of these Saudi talk shows. Really? And then in the middle of it, they're just like, "Well, have you ate this?" And he's like, "No, I've always wanted." And so then they just pull out a rug, they flip it out, and then they bring out what looks like a a full goat. And then they have the guys just sit around in a circle and they just eat on television with their hands. And it's just, you can just kind of see Drew and, and, and Dolph just being like, what have we got ourselves into here? Wow. Hmm. And so it, it was a little striking because it was just the sort of thing where I was like, wow, these guys, they're still doing talk shows. They're still doing other things. You know, there was video or, or actually uh, like text posts of Seamus and Cesaro working out at the gym. And like it was on the Saudi minister site all about, you know, look at these guys. They're working out the gym here in, in Riyadh and whatnot it's just like it's tough because there's under such scrutiny and under such a microscope while they're over there that you know it's got to be a really weird relationship but at the same time a lot of ways i do think that they are kind of wwe was was not the sort of people that were going to flinch in this situation and i i i said that more or less from the beginning that i didn't think that they would take it to heart in such a way that it was going to stop them from going until the U.S. government themselves seemed like maybe they were actually trying to slap them on the wrist and say, we disapprove of what's happening here. But even that kind of quickly has has blown over, both for domestic coverage of other events from kind of a, a slowdown in the number of leaks in what's happening in this case. You know, Erdogan wrote a, a editorial in the Washington Post this week, and there's stuff like that that's been, continued to happen mm-hmm. to keep this story going. But as a whole it doesn't seem like there's going to be necessarily sanctions or anything that's that's um, uh, put up from the U.S. government at this time against Saudi Arabia. And so for some ways, I think WWE is just trying to keep their head down. And uh, in they didn't really downplay this, though. It wasn't a minor event the way I kind of thought it might end up being played out as. Yeah. So going forward with the Saudi deal, do you think uh... – do you think this is going to last 10 years? And do you think these are all going to be W network specials? Could they just be untelevised house shows to keep the profile low? 
I, I mean, it, it's so hard to judge. I, it could be, it would seem like this would be prime footage to be the WWE network tier two type stuff, like the upper tier, which they know less and less people are going to be watching. Um, it would seem like it's the sort of stuff that it depends on whether they're going to do the big matches. Cause the problem is if, if you're paying for Brock Lesnar to go and do something, especially to wrestle for the title, it's hard to not want to put that on television and make that part of your bigger storyline. And WWE suffering right now in the sense that they don't have a lot of mega stars. And so it, 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 it's one of those things where they're paying to bring in so many mega stars all for one show. It's awkward for them not to do something with it. Cause it is one of the few shows that, you know, has so many different people showing up there and doing things, but all in all, it will seem like such a strange footnote in Shawn Michaels' history that that is where he came back from his retirement. Yeah, I mean, he could end up doing WrestleMania. But yeah, I don't know. I I think they could they could have even gone with this one and just not put it on the network, and that would have at least prevented people from watching and scrutinizing the show. And uh, yeah, but all in all, I don't know if the scrutiny has been about the show itself has been as negative as, as yeah. the lead up to the show yeah. and the, the, the choice to go ahead and do it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, with the exception, I think one of the worst things is that WrestleMania teaser where they ed- literally edited out all the women mm-hmm. because you doing that in the same week that you have the evolution show, it just completely undermines your point that, that there you're being anything but duplicative about the fact that the women's revolution is something you're inventing, you're innovating and you're promoting. Mm-hmm. But how about this? WWE could defend itself and say, well, look, we, you know, you were criticizing us for doing Saudi propaganda. We didn't do anything this time. We didn't even mention the country. We didn't do a, do a, a tourism ad like we did last time celebrating crown prince Mohammed bin Salman. And we didn't do any of that. All we did was put on a wrestling show. Sports entertainment. Well, I think, I think that would in some way in infer that they thought they did something wrong the first time, which they don't. I don't think in any way they would ever even abdicate on that first point that that somehow what they did in the first show was a over the top B Vince knows the concept of anything being over the top and C that it was in any way incongruous with what they believe is their moral compass in the first place. You know, like you said, we don't find an ethics and moral statement on the WWE website. All it says is putting smiles on people's faces and they're kind of indifferent to uh, who smiles, whose faces and for how much. Yeah. But it, it, you know, all in all, it was a fine show. It was not a very good show. No. I didn't feel like any of the matches were really great to watch. Um, I wasn't really captivated by very much of it. I don't know about you. Did you, how much of the tag match did you watch? None of it. The main event? No, I, I did watch most of it actually. Mm. Uh, I, I thought the tag match was okay. You know, I think Sean for his age, and and where was good. I don't know if he was quite as good as people were kind of making him out to be. Um, he he still felt a little bit like you know we're we're well past your prime and you're working with guys who are also well past their prime and that kind of nostalgia match is sometimes more painful than enjoyable if you don't have the right audience and that's not the right audience because every time you're cutting to shots all we're seeing is a whole bunch of guys just kind of meandering around the side of the ring and all the people all the kind of very very young children over there but it's it's just not it's just not effective. It's I, I got to imagine Vince is just tearing his hair out while he's there because he also feels that it's um you know it's it's clearly not always his own production team doing everything there, and I think that must be driving him up a wall too. Um, did did you notice this this show followed the Levesque principle? 
Do you know what the Levesque principle is? Uh, when in doubt, Mary McMahon. The longest match in the show is Triple H's match. Yes, it did. <laughs> that is true. That is absolutely in, true. In recent years, if Triple H um, is on the show, the longest match is his match, with, with some yeah. very few exceptions. 27 but, minutes, 45 seconds. The next longest match on this show was 13 minutes, which is Ziggler and, and Rollins. So, it, you know, it's the sort of thing that I think they're very quickly going to be able to reference only in passing, saying, hey, hope you saw Crown Jewel. Can you believe so-and-so won the title? Can you believe Sean, uh, Shane McMahon came back? Can you believe this? Can you believe that? But I don't get the feeling like this is going to be one where they're necessarily going to be using it as a mega recruiting tool. But at the same time, I, I don't feel like they were going to make a big deal about evolution either. You know, they kind of let that one just kind of come and pass very quickly um, in many ways. So it it's just the sort of nature of things that they're, it's on to the next thing always with WWE, with the Survivor Series. I will be curious whether or not they, they do feel at some point that they're they're just shoehorning too many events into their yearly schedule, knowing that there's just so much they can promote. And I do feel that they got a little overstretched this last time on trying to promote so many events. So if anything were to give, I almost wonder if it would be the November show rather than the April show, because I think the greatest Royal Rumble in some ways was a little easier for them to promote compared to the uh, the November show, which was smack dab in the middle of three other different things. More than three, right? Because it's Super Showdown, Evolution, Crown Jewel, Survivor Series, which I don't even know when Survivor Series is, but the, like those are four shows within yeah i guess that's true it was the fact that super showdown was on the schedule that really threw off their ability to have just one mega international show in the same month Mm -hmm. or the same 30 days i should say but what else is there to say about crown jewel uh they made a lot of money they did the show anyway even though saudi arabia uh is is likely guilty of many human rights violations bombing in yemen the way they treat women, LGBT people. Uh, they killed Jamal. Imprisoning activists. Imprisoning activists. They killed the journalist Jamal Khashoggi. Premeditated. Killed him. Cut him up. Nobody can find his body. They did the show anyway because it's too much money to pass up. They just couldn't, you know, they can't pass up that much money. They can't breach that contract for, for moral principles. They need they need that money, and they, and Vince McMahon needs to stick to his guns and do what he said he was going to do. That's what's important. And and he didn't. I don't feel he wanted people to stop him, and he didn't want to be stopped once that team all made a decision. And and I don't hold Vince alone. I, you know, I would love to hear from other executives that in some way that there was some dissent there because none of them wanted to stand up. And yeah. make it clear that this was against their principles either. Yeah. And they're, they are seem much more focused on trying to get that management incentive compensation than they do in saying, you know what, we should take a short-term hit for long-term value, especially now that the stock has taken as much of a hit as it did. One wonders whether or not, in some ways, this took the gleam off all those investors who thought WWE stock could just go up and up and up and had nothing but promise. And now they realize, oh my God, this is one of the ways that you guys make your money for the year. Yeah, well, we're going to have to wait until Netflix hires George Barrios away and he writes his autobiography called The Media Ecosystem to, uh, to to give us the behind-the-scenes look at, at Gra- the... Granularity in the media ecosystem, a three-part triangle. Yes. Yeah. Well, 
on our premium show, we're going to talk about other stuff. We're going to talk about uh, the legal and trademark stuff. We're going to talk about North American tickets. We're going to talk about New Japan economics. We're going to talk about Pop TV, mm-hmm. which is a subject, and, and a ridiculous list by the Sun newspaper. Um, and if you want to hear it, go to WrestleNomics.com, click on the premium section, and go to Patreon slash WrestleNomics. We're going to talk about New Japan Polish Rebel, too. All that stuff. $5 a month. You get the notes. You get the uh, the show. You get access to all the information about what we're talking about. And you get great interaction ability to sponsor both what Brian and I are doing and uh, the coffee that we need to drink to stay awake at hours like this. Yeah. Let's, uh, let, let's, let's talk about Daniel Cormier real quick, too. Because Daniel Cormier defended the... Uh, the UFC heavyweight title on Saturday night, he retained it over, I believe, Derek Lewis, right? We're MMA experts, so I think it's Derek Lewis, the guy who said his balls were hot. That's why he dropped his shorts after his previous fight. But but Daniel Cormier uh, was was interviewed by Joe Rogan after the, the fight, and this is what he said. That level yet. Which brings me to the next challenge, which is most likely going to be Brock Lesnar. What are your thoughts on that? Brock Lesnar, when you come, bring that brand new WWE title too. I feel like being a WWE champion too. Let's go! Let's go, Brock! Bring that belt with you if you come to my house. Congratulations, champ. So there you go. We're going to have the WWE title on the line at the, ne- at the next big UFC pay-per-view against Daniel Cormier. Title versus title. I think that's hey. what's going to happen. Well, maybe. you know, maybe it'll be loser becomes a commentator. Uh, because I, I believe Daniel Cormier was also looking for a WWE tryout as a commentator. Yeah, I, did the Observer say that uh, Fox contacted him? I, I saw in an interview he said, no, uh, WWE contacted me. I think the the story was that Fox wanted someone like a, a, a Cormier because mm. they thought that would be a good addition to kind of a WWE programming. And it, it brings up, you know, memories of the fact that WWE almost lured away at the time, uh, one of the UFC commentators uh, so many years ago. Uh, Mike Goldberg. Exactly. Yeah. And so it's just it's kind of shocking in a sense to say, wow, would they really take somebody who knows nothing about commentary? And it's 10 years wrestling. ago, uh, we... we, we, we a big uh, wrestling fan. Just hear me out. Okay. 10 years ago, we were like, oh, no, they, they wouldn't do that. And they brought in Amway. And, yeah. and we were all like, oh, wow, this is a disaster. And then ever since then the bar of who is and isn't qualified to be a commentator has completely just shot all around. And now you don't think twice about the fact that someone does or doesn't have a wrestling background before they join the company and become a commentator. And the fact that someone like Corey Graves or Renee Young even gets on there causes wrestling fans to rejoice because they're like, oh my God, this person might actually know something about the history of wrestling and the background of wrestling. And so uh, Cormier is obviously a big wrestling fan. So I don't think he would be unqualified to necessarily try out to be a, a, a WWE commentator. I just, I mean, hell, if Lanny Poffo is doing New Japan commentary, the world has come to a strange place. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, Daniel Cormier knows a lot about wrestling, and he he does he does commentary and does like desk stuff for for UFC, and he's very good at it. So he he would probably be a good wrestling commentator. He could be. I don't know. I, I think he would. I don't think it's ridiculous, and I think if anything, it's it's a it's a hell mary that I like because it's like you could end up with anybody in that spot, uh, knowing the way that WWE is willing to basically kowtow to the right uh, sponsors and media pushes. And the fact that it could be someone who actually at least is emphatic and excited about wrestling is is a good thing in my book. 
Yeah. So it. Do you think that, that this plays a part in why Lesnar won the title? They want him to show up on, on the UFC pay-per-view with the WWE belt because maybe that'll get some press for WWE. I don't know. I don't know. It, I, I think, you know, that's that's it's obviously part of the longer storyline of what they want to do and the amount that they've booked with Brock. I do think losing Roman really hurt them in the sense that they know they don't have many mega stars. John Cena is one of the few people left that they could still pull out of their back pocket and use when they want to kind of pop, pop a territory or pop a house a little bit, but short of him, I mean, you, you don't have a lot of people and you just hurt triple H. So that's going to hurt you too. So there's not a lot of these like, you know, wild cards in my opinion that they have to play at this time so it could just be that vince is always seems to think that that brock is worth a lot and it can often be times more than what some of the fans think he's worth but the fact that vince is willing to pay it means that he has drank the kool-aid more than anybody else and that's fascinating yeah i, I was dumbfounded watching that that finish uh, as, as i know a lot of people were like why would you but not it, put over that's an angle right it's 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 an angle to put over that story and that's the angle they want to go with so we'll have to see where it plays out so i i'm not going to write completely off it's the same thing with the Shane McMahon thing you can be upset about it i think it's part of kind of the bizarreness of WWE that they seem to have their heels that they treat as faces and faces that they seem to treat as heels and that's what's more wacky to me is the fact that sometimes you, you have the Shane McMahon thing and be like, are we supposed to hate him or love him for doing this? Because for a lot of us, it, we're, it's cringy to watch this sort of thing happening. And on the other side, you, you wonder, does WWE really think he's a face? Or is it something like, oh, this is just part of a longer storyline with a turn. And it's the whole Jericho idea where it's, it's just to be annoying to you and that we're supposed to be annoyed by this. And it's like, I can't tell. And I get annoyed by wrestling sometimes when I watch it. And I can't tell if the way that they're trying to make me feel is completely opposite of the way that I do feel, because then I'm just like, I don't even know what escapism is. This is sadomasochism, not escapism at that point. It's almost like the person pulling the strings uh, doesn't really know what the audience is going to do or what the audience likes and doesn't like, or, or, or just indifferent to what the audience likes and doesn't like. Or, or that the um, you know that the person who's 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 writing the stories doesn't have a great moral center from which to write them. And you know it, it's it's a debate I see in comedy and art all the time, which is: Do you do what is going to make your audience enjoy? Do you do what you think is artistically rewarding, or do you find some compromise in the middle where you acknowledge the fact that the audience is coming to see a show? And it's your responsibility to do everything you can to try and best entertain them with the skills that you have. Because at a certain point, you don't want the audience to play you. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, you also don't want to do something that is completely off from what the audience wants. And at the same time, you want to be a true artist and you want to actually say, you know what, let me take you on a journey and let me bring you to where I am. And I want you to experience and enjoy what I'm doing. And sometimes it's going to be good. And sometimes it's, it's going to be require a lot more patience on your part. And in trying to show that respect for your audience is probably the number one thing I've learned in comedy is that, that we have a saying sometimes nothing is the audience fault. And that, that, that feels really easy to say, because of course, if you're being heckled, if you have a bad audience, if you have an audience that's there against their will, they're very hard to win over. But at the same time, if you go into the standpoint of saying, I love this, I love the audience. And then you approach it that way. It's so much easier for you to embrace what you're trying to get across because at a certain place, you say, you know what? This is a paying audience who really wants to see what I'm doing. And I shouldn't treat them with disdain or contempt. 
And so it's when you treat your audience with disdain or contempt that it really bugs me. At the same time, you're allowed to befuddle and mystify them. I just don't think everything has to be a mystery that someone is trying to figure out. Ideally, your audience is with you, maybe half a step ahead or half a step behind, but not three steps in either direction. Yeah, I think you have to be ahead of your audience. You have to know where you're going. And they don't quite, I think the optimal position to be be in is, you know where you're going, they don't quite know where, where you're going. And then, but in the end, when they find out where you're going, it's, it's satisfying and it's exciting and it's at, at times surprising and at, at the least satisfying and it, and it makes some sense and it rewards the people who, who have been watching the details the most. Um, but I think in, in WWE, and I know we're only supposed to talk about economics, but I think in WWE, the, what happens is there's just a lot of you know, mysteries that don't get resolved, don't get followed up on. Yeah, so watching Crown Jewel had a couple of those head-scratcher moments for me. And so maybe that was what was odd to me, is I was expecting a little bit more of just television that I could just watch, consume, and throw away. And it was clear that they were connecting it to their larger narrative. And so for better or for worse, WWE did not think of this as a completely throwaway show for sure. So we'll talk about the rest on WrestleMonics Premium. Thanks, everybody. <laughs>